How does a high-performing athlete with a lot of plans in place shift gears entirely when things don't go according to plan? You're listening to Courageous Wordsmith, episode number 23. This podcast presents conversation with and for real-life creatives on how we find and keep walking our unique paths. I'm your host, Amy Hallberg. Welcome to my world. Today, I'm talking with my former student and friend, Katie Krauska, who was a high-performing sailor, and then plans changed. We're talking about your path from advanced level sailor to high-performing cyclist. Yeah, quite a 180, looking back at it. So how did you get into the sailing to begin with? I started sailing because my mom grew up sailing in Milwaukee, spent her summers on a houseboat there and took lessons. So she saw I could start taking lessons here where we live in Lake Minnetonka. So that's when I started. I just started sailing when I was eight and then started racing when I was 13. And what did you love about it? I love being outside. I love being able to kind of choose, you know, choose where I could go with a boat. That was something different. You know, you're 13, you can't drive, you maybe have a bike, but like being able to go around the lake wherever you want to go is great. And the racing part of it that I liked, I really liked the mental game of sailing. There's a lot of strategy involved. It's like playing multiple chess games at once while you're doing something that's really physically hard. So I liked figuring out how to multitask all of that. And I liked all the technical parts of it and figuring out how to master all that. So you were on track for some pretty high-level competition at, at one point. Right, yeah. I started my high school sailing team. I was keep competing on my own. Wait a minute. When you say started, do you mean that you started the team? Yeah, I started my high school sailing team, walked into the athletic director's office and said, hey, I want sailing to be a varsity leather sport. And he was like, okay, cool. Here's the paperwork you need to fill out, and uh, there you go. So I started that team. I think it's still going. Uh, We had like maybe 12 members at our biggest roster point. So that was pretty cool to to leave that legacy. And then I had planned to keep sailing in college, but uh, things didn't exactly go to plan once I got there. Well, okay, but even before you got to college, you've talked about how it was something you loved, but uh, by the end... There were signs that you were ready to be done with it. So you want to talk right. about that? Yeah. So when I was competing for sailing, I you know, I had a coach I was working with locally, and then I was traveling to compete a lot of different places uh, around the country and you know, trying to do this at a really high level. There were a lot of things going into that. So, you know, fitness was a big thing. Um, I had, I was kind of smaller than was ideal for the, the specific boat I was sailing. So I was always working really hard to build up muscle and gain weight um, and, you know, still stay lean and agile and, you know, be able to work the boat still. Um, I was just doing a lot of multitasking with school too. I mean, I spent 25 hours a week between being at practice and lifting weights and all the other things I was doing for sailing while I was in high school, like taking a lot of challenging classes and doing other extracurriculars. And I just had a lot going on trying to put all of that together. And I was trying to fund this too. I was like working, you know, with my parents and doing my own, you know, gardening and babysitting to get myself to all these events. 
um, which I wouldn't say is normal for a lot of the the kids I was competing against. Hmm. That they that they were funded. Yeah, either by their parents or the yacht clubs, or were you know on a team that had sponsors and stuff. I was kind of on my own. Although, are you proud of yourself for having done that? I mean, like, yeah. it's a double-edged no. thing, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it taught me a lot, and I'm still using those skills a lot now as a cyclist because now I'm in college. I'm, I fund all my cycling things by myself. It taught me how to plan a, a travel weekend and how to get to a race and organize all my gear and budget for that and kind of plan my race season, too. So I'm really glad I learned that so early. It's really helped me now but you also so while you were doing all these things and trying to stay in shape and and keep your academic record up and and yeah to to just to put this out there for people katie's a serious student so you know you did good work in school and on you're competing at top level on the lake and you were coming back from an injury too right right yeah when i was 15 i dislocated my kneecap while i was sailing and it kind of went misdiagnosed for like six months uh we didn't think it was as bad as it was finally got an mri and it looked like spaghetti like all of my ligaments in there were torn and ended up having now i have three screws six staples and no cartilage in there um and it took me a year to come back from that injury so I mean, I was figuring that out, and then... Does that still affect, like, when you're when you're cycling today, do you have to take that knee into account? Not really. That's part of why I chose cycling, because it's low impact. Um, so there's not... It's not like running. Running really bugs me, especially with not having that cartilage cushion in there, but that's part of why I've gone to cycling is, yeah, it, it's working with my anatomy and... Okay, so things I have going on. you went off to college, and you started college in Vermont. Yep. And I'm understanding that when you went there, you kind of thought you might still keep sailing, or what was the thought going on with yeah. you? Yeah, uh, I mean, I looked at colleges number one, well, kind of number one based on academics, but really I chose East Coast schools. Uh, to kind of choose from because that's where they have really good sailing teams. I knew I wanted to sail in college and then hopefully go on to some international competitions beyond that. Um, so that's so why you I, were on track for high level competitions that, worldwide. That was the plan. Yeah. Wow. So that's why I'd chosen to go out there because that's where I could find a really high level of competition and some really good coaches and just a really good community to build my skills in. Um, but I got there and I was just burnt out from trying to do so many things. I mean, my coach here, just everyone at the sailing center I was at were trying to fundraise for a new building. Like everyone had too much going on. I had too much going on and I got there and was just kind of like not a hundred percent in it at that point. And then it worked out logistically. I met with the coach there and she looked at my class schedule and when practices were, and she's like, you could make one, maybe two practices a week. I, I can't have you as like a traveling team member with that much commitment. And I couldn't change my class schedule. I had a pretty rigorous program that just, that's what I needed to do that semester. And I said, okay, I'm not sailing this semester. How did that feel? I mean, this has been part of your life since right. you were eight years old. How'd that feel? It was really disorienting at first. I was just like, this is, you know, I did this 25 hours a week in high school. It's like all of a sudden I had all this time and I didn't know how to fill it. I mean, the academics in college kind of helped that transition, helped fill some time, but... <laughs> academics filling the time. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, 
But it was like, what do I do? What am I going to do? It was actually an opportunity, like, what do I want to do for fun? And, like, what do I want to do? Not, like, what's the next thing in the plan? Mm. It was kind of a chance for me to reset. So, yeah, I went to the activities fair. I'm like, cool, what am I going to do for fun? Uh, Ran into, literally, physically ran into someone at the activities fair. Looked up, he's, like, this six-foot-six blonde guy. Like, Minnesota is totally the land of tall blonde people. And he was from... (laughs) From Minneapolis, it turned out, which was crazy because I had not met anyone from the Midwest in Vermont yet. So we started talking. He's like, hey, you should join the cycling team. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, Went to their first, like, just on-campus spin, super casual. Ended up following some guys into the woods by accident um, on my little hybrid that totally could not handle what it was about to do. But went on this cool mountain bike trail and came out of it okay. And these guys turned around and said, hey, you should you should start mountain biking. You did really well with that. So I went and bought a mountain bike, which was crazy. When I told my parents that, I'm like, hey, uh, can you like, yeah, the, basically this is what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm buying a mountain bike and I'm gonna do this now. And uh, is that the bike you're still using? No, I just sold it, actually. It was kind of a, an emotional sale, actually. I'd gone a lot of places with that bike, but I just upgraded my bike now. Um, yeah. but, but so that was the bike that you competed with? Yeah, for a year, a year and a half, I competed with that bike. So tell me about that, about the competitions and being part of that team in Vermont. Yeah, that was an amazing team to be a part of. Probably the best team I've ever been a part of um and what was so cool about it was you know I came into that sport having never done it I mean I had always done cycling as conditioning for sailing for to for cardio but I had never competed um and you know mountain biking is a pretty technical sport as well with you know getting over different features and stuff I like that part of it and the cool thing about the team is I, like, never felt stupid asking a question. I could totally just be super curious, and I was able to progress really quickly that way, and people were so encouraging and, like, overwhelmingly positive. Like, we had meetings every Tuesday, and, like, part of it was for housekeeping things, like, hey, you should, you know, pay your race registration, and you should... <laughs> do this thing and the other thing that we need to do to, you know, be a club with the school and all this and fundraise. But it was just a chance to hang out like every Tuesday with like, you know, 40, 50 of my best friends just all sitting there and we we just got to hang out. We were all really good friends and really close and there were people I could really depend on and were really supportive of me. That was so, so cool to find. And so it must have been really hard that at the same time you couldn't stay with them. Right, yeah. So I left, I transferred from Vermont after my first year. Um, The community I found in Vermont was amazing. Um, And I mean, I still haven't been able to find something like that. So that social piece was there, but Vermont was super expensive and uh, the academics were not as rigorous as I needed. So I ended up transferring to UW-Madison and starting there fall 2018. And that did not go... (laughs) No, that didn't go to plan either. What happens when things don't go according to plan? So what happened when you got to Madison? (laughs) So a week into school, I was at my first mountain bike race uh, with the team. 
I crashed. Um, I had a really bad crash. We were in Missouri. Where did you crash? Uh, it was on these trails in Missouri. I was on this part of the course that had a four-foot rock ledge to my left, and I had kind of a drop from one rock to another, and I don't remember how I fell um, or how that crash happened. That I just don't remember it after that point. I remember that spot on the trail, but that's kind of all the memory I have of it. And somehow I ended up down the hill. My bike was like 10 feet above me. I was down the steep, rocky hill, knocked out with my nose bleeding, and uh, somehow got up and walked out of the woods. No one else saw me crash, and mountain biking, people spread out pretty quickly. You're not really in a pack of people, and there weren't any spectators there, so it was kind of freaky to wake up in the woods by myself. Just Yeah, it must have been terrifying. Yeah. So what happened? I mean... Yeah, so I had to go to the, I had to get medical attention, but there wasn't an EMT at the race like there was supposed to be. So um, we drove the eight hours back to Madison and then I went to the ER. Oof. Yeah. Um, and they actually admitted me to the trauma unit. And um, and that was traumatic. Yeah, no, the trauma unit is pretty traumatic because <laughs> the first thing they do is take off all of your clothes and check you out head to toe for just, you know, visual signs of trauma and also just, like, feeling... So you're lying there naked in front of all these people. Like, with eight people all running around with different medical instruments and people sticking IVs in me and taking blood tests, and I felt like... Uh, there's a Frida Kahlo painting that she painted right after her miscarriage where she is like sitting in this hospital bed with like veins or strings extending to like medical instruments floating around the room and like the dead fetus in one place and just kind of her like super isolated in pain because I no one came with me to the ER I took an uber there Um, (laughs) so I'm sitting there in the trauma room surrounded by all these people just like in pain and just feeling awful um and that was kind of yeah that was a pretty dark place and what was the prognosis Uh, i had a really severe concussion and i had some damage to my neck uh the ligaments there so i was in a neck collar for two weeks uh ended up going home for a month didn't stay at school went home to minneapolis for a month stayed there i had a great team of doctors i had one neurologist that was kind of my main touch point and then ended up working with a physical therapist to do vestibular therapy because I would get really motion sick Um, so that helped when you get a concussion your inner ear can get messed up so your balance and watching things move can be really you know make you nauseous or dizzy and that sort of thing so I was working with him for that I ended up going to an occupational therapist and a speech pathologist. They worked together with me to work on just like being able to do cognitive tasks and attention span and all of those things because I just totally did not feel like myself. I was getting headaches and having a hard time with that. And then I was also super anxious and super depressed through all of this. That's something that people don't always talk about with concussions, but talking to other people now that I've met that have been through the similar similar thing it's it's so common especially for people who have multiple concussions I, this was my fourth concussion the previous three were for, from sailing um, and it just 
I couldn't decide what to eat in the morning without having a panic attack. Like, I was so buzzed up and just, yeah. So when you say can't decide what, you like, you're literally staying in front of the like, fridge. Like, staying in front of the fridge, like, hyperventilating, like, what am I going to eat today? Shaking, eventually, just, like, sitting on the floor, like, waiting for things to calm down and just... And, I mean, I understand that this is not a logical thing, but what's the most... What's the most anxiety-provoking thing about that experience? Right. For me, it was, like, for me, it felt not okay to not be able to do just normal, everyday tasks. Like, I was worried about, um, so, like, I wasn't exercising, so I was, you know, trying to be very conscious of what I was eating to just, like, fuel myself how I needed to be fueled. Um, and it was like this anxiety that I wouldn't choose the right thing to eat, basically. I I assume that there's still moments where you're still anxious, that, where it's oh, still absolutely you. no, yeah, and that's something I've worked with a sports psychologist with a lot now. It actually, like the anxiety had always been there. It just wasn't so obvious. The way my neurologist described it to me is like concussions kind of bring out. If you had like kind of a weak point before your concussion, it just amplifies it. So I was always managing anxiety before that, I realized. It just wasn't so urgent and just so severe feeling. So that's helped me actually perform better in my sport now because I I'm recognize, you know, what leads me to get anxious and kind of when I'm getting anxious to catch it before it gets to that point that I just can't function. Yeah, and yet somehow... You got back to school yep. and and back to the cycling. So how did that happen? That happened because I figured out, so my doctor suggested, hey, there are these newer studies saying that cardio is actually good for recovery. And even if it does trigger some symptoms, um, that can actually help you get better faster. Well, and it is so counterintuitive, right? Like, like getting, working through those things is the solution, but it must have felt really... No, it was so uncomfortable at the time. And it was really hard at first. I mean, the exercising triggered symptoms for me. I got headaches and got dizzy at times and kind of had to stop and take a break sometimes, but... What did your doctors say about that? Yeah, they... A lot of the newer research is actually saying that that's good um, because it trains your brain to get back to normal. Um, so those things that feel like symptoms, if right. you don't push it too far, are actually Actually help healing. you work through. Um, because if you're kind of using your brain at a, limiting, a limited capacity, it just gets used to that, and it's harder to stretch back to what you're normally doing. So um, that can actually help people get better faster is what they're thinking now um, from doing some studies. So that was good to learn and, you know, got me back to school, got me back on the bike, which was really great, and I started training again, did school, and uh, I would say I got back to normal for school. I finished with a 4.0, so that was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, while, also, while also navigating some real effects. Yeah, I mean, I was still having headaches at times. I was still getting dizzy. I was having a lot of issues. Reading is the biggest thing that actually still bugs me. I have special glasses, but I see double sometimes when I try to read, and I've been through a lot of vision therapy for it, and it's it's getting better slowly, but I might have some permanent effects there. Um, yeah. So 
when you're doing school and still pulling a 4.0, you're forced to, your body is forcing you to observe these limits. Yep. Yeah, it was just figuring out how, you know, what level of challenge was a good level of challenge. Because I could totally go just like, I'm going to try to do everything normally today like I normally do. I'm going to read for, you know, three hours straight and I'm going to study this thing. But coming back from a concussion, that was going to give me a terrible headache and not be great. So it was figuring out, you know, taking breaks frequently, figuring out how long I could reasonably work on something and and also cycling, like how much suffering is good suffering um, <laughs> is kind of the phrase I've, I've used with my coach a lot. Like there's a point where you can push yourself and you're, you're helping yourself in the long run. And there's also a point where you're causing damage and it's not good for you anymore. You know, you're, you're pushing too hard. So it, it was good for me to figure out where that point is. And I'm still, you know, always fine tuning and adjusting that, but that helps me with my cha- training and figuring out where I go with school from here too. So this whole experience has changed you a lot. Oh yeah. I mean, going through any injury, I feel like I learn more and more things to apply to my training and the whole balancing act of doing life and also competing in a sport and doing all of that at a high level, you know? And you had a pretty big victory this summer. Yes, I did. So I started racing again and I decided I wanted to do the Leadville 100, which is one of the hardest mountain bike races out there. And you can't just sign up for it. You have to qualify. So the qualifier um, here is the Lutzen 99er um, up north by Lake Superior. And I even had some roadblocks there. I was low iron, which is really common with endurance athletes and made me feel super fatigued. Sometimes I couldn't train, do the, the workout I wanted to that day. And just had to figure out, all right, this is what we can do today, and that's that's what we're going to do, and we'll, we'll make it to the start line and hopefully to the finish line as well, or at least going to do everything in my power to get there. And I did. I, I finished second in my age group and secured my spot for the Leadville 100 in 2020. Wow. Yeah. And, and so how did that feel? That was awesome. Oh, my gosh. I did not think I was going to finish that race. <laughs> um <laughs> Which is pretty cool. To, it's that's what I like about what I'm doing with bike racing now. Is I'm I'm doing things I didn't think I could do when I signed up for them and kind of proving myself wrong or just at least figuring out how to get there. I like that puzzle part of it. And you got a little taste of the Leadville 100. Yes, I did. So I did the Leadville stage race to kind of pre-ride the course, figure out what's out there. So the Leadville course, Leadville, Colorado, is about ten thousand feet elevation. And you go 50 miles out through a couple of mountain passes. The highest elevation you go to is 12,500 feet. And you can't really breathe at 10,000 feet. You definitely can't breathe, breathe at 12,500. Um, and so the stage race, they split the 100-mile course into three days. And I did that. Um, that was, I thought the first day was the hardest day on the bike I'd ever had. Turns out the second day ended up being the hardest day on the bike I'd ever had. By the third day, I kind of found my lungs a little bit better, was a little better acclimated, and just kind of knew what to expect because it was an out and back. So I had ridden that part of the course backwards at least the first day. So kind of knew how to pace it, felt better about that, and yeah, finished. And actually got third in my age group there, which was pretty sweet because the the woman who won my age group uh, won 
like for the women, she she won that stage race. So wow, yeah. So what's coming up next? Yeah, I mean it's it's school. I'm not really racing collegiate mountain biking anymore. Um, but I am still racing. I got a new mountain bike. That's pretty sweet. No, oh, tell me about it. Yeah, it's it's spra- sparkly and red. <laughs> That's what matters most. <laughs> it's sparkly. It's sparkly in the sun. And I, you know, I grew up sailing. It's really common to name, or it's bad luck not to name your boat sailing. So all my bikes have names. Uh, my road bike is Rosie the road bike because mm-hmm. she always has pink bar tape. Um, and then I named my new bike Fox, like Fox the Phoenix, because it's kind of my rising from the ashes bike. It's Mm. my redemption bike, kind of. Mm. Yeah. So what's your takeaway from all of this? It's progress is not a straight line. Um, You go up, and then sometimes you go down, and then you go back up again. And there's roadblocks, and you figure it out. And it's also... It's okay to not be okay. You know, it's okay to be working on things and still healing and progressing. Like, you just do what you can do that day, you know, sustainably. Like, you can't always go 100% sprinting up a a 10-mile climb. That's not realistic. You just got to figure out what your pace is and how you're going to do it. And it's it's probably going to hurt, but it's going to be you're going to figure something out. Thanks for listening to Courageous Wordsmith. Today's episode featured Katie Krauska. You can read about her in my show notes or check out my blog. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help it thrive and grow organically. Please subscribe, share with friends, and sign up for True Lines, my letters for real-life creatives. That's a good way to stay current on future episodes and other offers. Please and thank you for your support of all kinds. You can learn more about me at CourageousWordsmith.com. I'm Amy Hallberg, and until we meet again, travel safely.